The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Never a dull moment. You'd think I'd be more excited to start a podcast with a sentence like that, because things are still happening. I'm just a little bit irked that I can't do a show that doesn't go completely obsolete in seven hours. Come on! I just spent so much time on yesterday's podcast breaking down the Knicks rotation and where all the shots are going to go, and then whammo, we open up Wednesday with breaking news! Kemba Walker, bought out by the Oklahoma City Thunder. He will sign with the New York Knicks on a very affordable contract and completely blow up all of our plans to uh, get Evan Fournier into the top 70, top 60 range. It's not going to happen anymore. Yeah, sure, he'll still be all right, but all of a sudden now, the pecking order just keeps getting pushed down the board. And all of our hopes for Derrick Rose, that now is largely marginalized. I don't think his minutes are going to be as high. Yeah, Kemba's going to play himself into injuries. He's got his balky knees, and he's now playing for Tom Thibodeau, which is a terrifying proposition for someone who already wasn't staying healthy. But still, Derrick Rose now is basically a fantasy backup. Well, you know what, let's let's take a minute here. Hello, by the way, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is a hoop ball presentation, your daily fantasy NBA full season style fix going through free agency as best we can, and things keep on changing. The only thing that uh, stays the same is that nothing ever stays the same. That feels some like some nice homey logic. The um, So we talked a bunch about the Knicks, the fact that they re-signed uh, Nerlens Noel as likely Mitchell Robinson's backup. They re-signed Alec Burks, who for just a fleeting moment looked like he might have a, an avenue to fantasy value, but that's now gone. They re-signed Derrick Rose, who for longer than a fleeting moment looked like he was going to have fantasy value as potentially the starting point guard for the Knicks. Then they brought in Evan Fournier, and that shook things up quite a bit, but more so that he was going to be a lead horse in their offensive attack as the starting probably small forward. And luckily for him, that doesn't change. What does change, though, is that Rose now moves to the bench. Kemba Walker is your starting point guard next to R.J. Barrett, next to Evan Fournier, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. That's your starting five. This is a team that was really stressed to find anyone willing to actually take a shot this past season until Rose got to town. So that's why Randle took 19 shots a damn ball game this year. Crazy high number. And all of a sudden now, the Knicks actually have shot takers. R.J. Barrett took 15 shots a game last year. Derrick Rose, 12 over the entire season. Down the stretch, it was actually more than that with the Knicks. Fournier, elsewhere, was in the dozen or slightly over that range. Kemba, 
When he's on the floor, he's not shy about it. He took 16 shots a game with Boston this last year. So as I said on yesterday's podcast, I hate the adage that there's only one basketball. I think it's much more accurate to say there are only so many shots because everybody's going to touch it. They'll pass the ball around. Kemba will initiate some offense. Barrett will probably do more of the initiating in the open court. Randall's going to see a ton of possessions run through him. Fournier, I'm guessing, will be a bit more off-ball, but he'll do a little bit of orchestrating as well. Everybody's going to get an opportunity in this thing. The problem is that the Knicks are a very slow-paced team. Even if they crank that up by a little bit, it's not going to be enough to create the type of usage that all of these guys need. By the way, I'm Dan Bespris. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. Hopefully some of you guys found me on my array of satellite radio appearances this morning. That was super cool. Really, big thank you uh, to Joe Ostrowski over at BetQL and my buddy Gil Alexander, longtime friend over at VEASAN, each reaching out, wanting to talk to me about free agency. I mean, it's all I've been doing the last three days now is just tons of podcasts, tons of hits, talking about where everybody's ending up. Funny thing is, from a reality standpoint, I don't think it really changed the complexion of the league all that much. The Heat got a tiny bit better with an aging Kyle Lowry. The Knicks got better by actually getting a little offense into the mix. But the Knicks were overrated going into the playoffs last year anyway because... because they were the team that was playing harder than everybody else in the regular season. I don't know if the Thibodeau way is going to wear on anyone because he expects his guys to play like it's a playoff game for 82 regular season games as well. It's great if you want to build chemistry quickly. It's great for fantasy value. It's great for regular season wins. It's not great for health of the players or for understanding what a team's actually going to look like in the postseason. Looping back around to the the point I was making initially, the Knicks got a little bit better, but it's not like they're jumping into championship consideration. The team that I think, the Knicks got a little better, the Heat got a little better. The team that had made the biggest jump so far is the Chicago Bulls, but even they are still not championship contenders. I'd probably expect them... Um... I think I'd expect the Bulls to, at some point, be better than the Knicks. I don't know if it's going to be reflected in full-season record, because I expect Chicago to have some pretty significant adjustment growing pains at the beginning of the year. But that, again, that's not why you guys are listening to this podcast. When season win totals roll around, we will do an episode dedicated to betting into those, because that's super fun. Uh, I love season win totals. We clobber them every damn year. Did it again this season. And I, as an exercise, I just do all 30. But certainly some are, are a bit more cushy than others. All right, back to the, back to the Knicks. So uh, you can try to, to rationalize this in your head if you want. I don't think it's worth it. Reggie Bullock is gone. He only took nine shots a game last year. He's basically the only guy on the Knicks who had any type of usage who isn't, well, I guess we don't fully know what's going on with Alfred Payton yet. Emmanuel Quickly's still there. Rose re-signed. Randall's still there. Barrett's still there. 
And then you add into the mix, Burks, by the way, still there. He took 10 shots a game last year. You add into the mix Fournier, and, I, you know, whatever you expect of him this coming season, 13 shots a game over the in to, the totality of this most recent year. And then Kemba, as we just mentioned, who those two guys, by the way, finished up the season on the same team, remember? Kemba had 16 shots per game over the entire year. So even if you think those numbers come down, just from a math standpoint, you're adding two guys who took a combined 29 shots per game last season. That's going to have a dramatic impact on the usage of the guys around him. For that reason, if you're looking at the Knicks, you need to look at guys who are taking a hit to their shot attempts and what that does to their fantasy profile. We'll just start at the top, because we didn't really break down the Knicks yet, but maybe it's worthwhile to just make them the team of the day on the podcast. This is going to be our Knicks breakdown show, because at this point, I don't know what else they could really do uh, some stuff around the edges, I guess. Before we get into the full Knicks breakdown, I want to remind you guys of just a couple of things. First of all, John Collins is back with the Atlanta Hawks, so that's good. Um, he'll probably be, I would think, relatively similar to what we saw last season. A very, very safe top 50. Very safe. People were super irritated with his season last year, and, and for good reason. He was uh, drafted heavily in the late 20s, so to that end, he did underperform. By totals, by the way, he was number 34, so he actually didn't miss the mark by all that much on the total side. My guess is he probably gets drafted after that 34 level, and without the weirdness going on, now that he's been re-signed and his contract is locked in, and there really isn't anybody pushing him for minutes, he's just a really safe power forward. Scores a bit, rebounds a bit, steals a bit, blocks a bit, good percentages, low turnovers. He's a friendly nine-category guy who's more or less above average in just about everything. Love those guys that are average or better in almost every category. I think steals is kind of the only one where you're like, I'd love to see him get that up to like 0.7 out of the power forward spot. His teammate Clint Capella did. So, John, why not you? But it's not worth complaining about. He'll probably be a tiny draft day value just based on uh, him disappointing people who drafted him last year. Which, again, it wasn't really... Like, if you took him in your third round and you got, by totals, a late third rounder, that's not something that should sink a fantasy team. But whatever, we can talk about that another time. Today's show is about the Knicks. And every one of these damn micropods, which yesterday's was definitely not a micropod. That was like a 55-minute podcast. But whatever, we're going to call them that because that's where we're at. We, we've been hitting, we've been touching on the Knicks as they've evolved through free agency. And every time they make a move, we keep thinking, this is the last one. And at least from a usage standpoint, that's what we've been thinking. And there's always things around the margins. But I'm talking about key guys. Rose being re-signed. At that point, in my mind, I was like, okay, I don't know what this team does. We've heard them link to DeMar DeRozan. Maybe there's one other big piece coming. And then it was Evan Fournier, who's not a big piece, but big enough based from a contractual standpoint. And at that point, I thought, all right, that's the usage guy they were bringing in. And then it was Kemba Walker. So we just kind of need to scrap the sheet 
Whatever I've talked about over the last three podcasts, just throw it in the trash can. We're going to go through the Knicks basically one by one and try to figure out, and I think we have a pretty good feel for the public perception of the players on this Knicks team. I think we have a pretty good feel for it. Guys that came off the books. Reggie Bullock, he's gone. Taj Gibson, he's back. Nerlens Noel, he's back. Alec Burks, he's back. Frankie Smokes, Frank Nilakina. We actually don't know what the hell is going on with him right now. Haven't heard anything here or there. Alfred Payton is off the books. And Derrick Rose is back. So most of the guys that were who had expiring contracts, they returned. And the Knicks had the Knicks had a truckload of cap space because they were saving up for a, a run at Giannis, who was supposed to become a free agency or a free agent here, and that got jettisoned. The uh or was that going to be next year? In any event, Knicks were saving up. They had all these little contracts, a lot of one- and two-year deals for not a ton of money. Julius Randle, who I'm sure they'll guarantee his not fully guaranteed contract this coming season, he's really the only guy coming into this offseason that was on the books for any meaningful amount of money. R.J. Barrett was going to be the second-highest-paid Nick player at $8.5 million this coming year. I mean, this is a crazy small amount of money being paid. So they gave Derrick Rose... Uh, a three-year deal, and they gave New Orleans Noel some cash, and they gave Alec Burke some cash. And again, none of those were massive contracts from an average annual pay type of deal. But then they gave Evan Fournier close to 20, and now Kemba they got kind of on discount as well. So the Knicks are, are have done a pretty good job of creating bargains, guys that are generally tradable contracts, which may be the exception of Evan Fournier here at the front end of his. You'll, you're a couple years out. But even the three-year deals for a guy like Nerlens Noel, someone would take that if the Knicks decided they wanted to move off of him. I don't know that they would. I'm just saying they've done a pretty good job from a monetary standpoint. From a team-building standpoint, it remains to be seen because they just played harder than everyone this last year, and that sort of covered up some of their issues, which were heavily on the offensive side of the basketball. They could defend, and they defended hard every damn night, but they didn't score very much. Julius Randle averaged 24-10 and 10 with six assists on 19 shots a game. R.J. Barrett was actually a little bit more efficient this year at 17.5 points. D. Rose was helpful, but offensively they were quite bad. So the pickups helped them on that end of the floor. I don't think there's any way to argue against that. Does it make the Knicks really, really good as a basketball team? No. From a fantasy standpoint, what does all of this do to Julius Randle? Well, I'd be, I'd be floored if he got 19 shots a game next year with Kemba and Fournier being added to the mix and then full season of Derrick Rose, who was kind of ramping up his per-game output towards the end of last year anyway as he recovered from COVID and started to get the Tom Thibodeau type of run that we expected. You can go to the end of the year. He came back from COVID. He was playing in the mid-20s and minutes for about three weeks, and then it crept up towards 30, starting in around April 18th. He played 35 minutes, and it didn't come down much from there. In fact, Derrick Rose got double-digit shot attempts every single game between April the 18th, as I mentioned. Actually, even two games before that, if you want to and May 11th. That's a span of about a dozen games in a row. Maybe even a tiny bit more than that. And he was scoring a lot over that stretch. 
12, 12, 10, 18, 11, 11, 15, 10, 14, 17, 22. Those are the number of shot attempts he was taking. So that's now in the mix. Derrick Rose playing a full complement of minutes and getting a full complement of shots. <laughs> I don't know if you guys could hear my one-year-old crawling up and whispering da-da a couple times in a row, but that uh, did very quietly happen in the background. Um, and then you bring in Evan Fournier, who's going to try to get his dozen and you bring in Kemba Walker, who's almost definitely going to get his dozen or more. They're just like we could try to convince ourselves that it's this it's the same mental gymnastics we go through every offseason when a decent player on either a bad team or in this case an offensively anemic, offensively challenged team is joined by other good players doesn't have to be great we try to convince ourselves that the efficiency of the main guy in this case would be julius randall will be positively impacted more than the negative impact of a usage hit and it's just not right it happens once out of like every 10 times and even in that one out of 10 times it's often just a wash. And it works the other way around too. Sometimes we assume that a massive bump in usage is going to completely overweight. Like uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a good example of this. His usage went way, way up when he was healthy, but his efficiency went way down. And it kind of created a little bit of a wash scenario, which is kind of a worst case scenario for someone who sees a big bump in usage. It almost never gets past the profit line, meaning you almost never see someone see a bump in usage and their value actually goes down. The worst case scenario is it balances out, which means that from the Julius Randle perspective, the best case scenario is that he stays put. I don't think we're going to have that. Let's say his field goal percent goes up from 45.5 to like 47 and change, which I don't actually think is going to happen. I don't think that Kemba and Evan Fournier have the gravity to create that amount of openness for Randall to really change his field goal percent. But let's say for argument's sake that it does and his field goal percent goes up. He's probably losing at least one and a half to two shots per ball game, which in this instance, for a guy who doesn't get defensive stats and relies on being the dude with the ball, him playing less Touching the ball less, shooting less, impacts points, threes, assists as well. Free throw percent, which was a, a positive for him this year. And only you might see a positive on the field goal percent and or turnovers. I would also expect that with the Knicks getting better, they don't need to play Julius Randle 38 minutes a game this year. He's due to take, I think, a pretty substantial step back this coming year just because he doesn't have to do it all himself anymore. He's not Kevin Love on the Timberwolves anymore. That's not fair. The Knicks were better this year. But you guys get my meaning. And then what about the guys around him? Well, R.J. Barrett was only useful in points leagues anyway, because both of his percentages are god-awful. Take away some of his usage, and he really goes into the tank. I don't even know that he's a points league option. He certainly wasn't a category league option before that anyway. Alec Burks, there's no path for him to getting enough playing time or looks in this offense. The big men, yeah, you know, I'm I'm 
circling the wagons here. I'm, 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 I, I, we're gonna, I know we're gonna have to talk about D Rose, Fournier, and Kemba in a second, but I'm, I, I want to save those because I think those are gonna be the long ones. In addition to Randall, Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel. Let's assume that Mitch Rob comes into the season healthy right before his first big injury this last year out of a, a series of them for Mitch Rob, who played only 31 ball games, right before the first one, which was in early February. No. Yep, early February. Sorry, guys, got to get my calendar right. Weird season at a weird timeline. Uh, Mitchell was playing about 28 or so minutes per game. He started the year playing in the 30s, and then as Nerland started to settle in and get healthy, it became more of like a 28-20 sort of split. And it's not entirely clear what that's going to look like this coming season. They just gave Nerland's the contract extension, so my assumption is that there's going to be a little bit of a hot hand thing going on. Mitchell Robinson's blocks were weird and low this last year. I expect those to bounce back a little bit. I actually think both big men on this team end up with fantasy value. Mitchell Robinson, I'd look as a top 60 kind of guy in 27, 28 minutes of ballgame with upside. Beyond that, Nerlens Noel in 20 minutes is more of like a top 90 sort of guy with a little bit of upside. I know you're thinking, hey, he's been top 80 in 18 minutes before. Yeah, he was more willing to take shots in Oklahoma City, and I know we don't rely on him for his scoring, but we do for field goal percent. So you better actually take a couple shots if your 60-some-odd percent shooting is going to have any sort of positive impact. But you guys came for the good stuff, and the good stuff is Derrick Rose, Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker. Down the stretch this year with New York, as D. Rose settled into his Tom thibodeau size role and was playing closer to 28 to 30 minutes a ball game, he was taking almost 14 shots a night in those games, averaged 18, 4, and 5, 54% from the field, actually made all of his free throws last like three weeks of the season. He didn't miss a single one, and was inside the top 75. It's going to be very, very hard for him to get anywhere near that level with Kemba, Fournier, and R.J. Barrett now in front of him. Not so much necessarily in the pecking order, but just in the starting lineup. I don't see a path for Rose to play close to 30 minutes a ballgame. And I know they just gave him a bunch of money, but he figures to be more of a bench gunner probably in the 25-minute range, and I'm thinking probably not getting like a shot every two minutes with this with the way this team is built now. They just have other guys that can uh, go get a shot. So as much as two days ago we did this pod, and I was like, oh, Derek Rose, interesting spot he's in now. He's got the Tom Thibodeau seal of approval. He's probably built to be a... Uh, more of a fill-in if someone else is out. Like, there's one guy, probably. If Fournier is out, Rose probably gets a bunch of extra shots. If uh, Kemba sits a back-to-back or whatever, then Rose probably slots in as the starting point guard, gets a bunch of those shots, which makes him almost an impossible draft in head-to-head leagues. It makes him workable as more of a handcuff in Roto, but he could also end up being a bit more like that Norman Powell type, and oddly, their fantasy games are not all that dissimilar, where if one person is out for the Knicks, and it could be a rotating one starter, 
although Barrett was actually relatively healthy this year. Uh, Fournier wasn't. Kemba wasn't. If either one of those dudes is out, then Rose probably becomes a pretty useful fantasy player again, at least for whatever that time frame is, one game, one week, whatever. I just don't know that you need to spend a draft pick on that. He's actually better in 9-cat than he is in other formats because both of his percentages are now positives for Rose. He doesn't take as many three-pointers anymore, doesn't get many steals, but he'll get you points, assists, good percentages, and that's useful in certain situations. You just, unfortunately, you need usage for those to be useful. If you're not getting shots, your positive impact categories, if they're points, field goal percent, and free throw percent, they all plummet together. I would look at Derrick Rose in roto leagues outside the top 125. In head-to-head, not at all, because there's no expectation that he's going to play 82 games this year. That's just, that's lunacy. Roto, again, there's this sort of, this games cap element where if you can keep him on your bench, probably to start the year, see how things fit, and plug and play him. But it might be easier to just have a guy like that popping on and off the waiver wire. Evan Fournier, who I just mentioned as someone I thought would fit in really well in New York because they desperately needed offense, well, he takes a good size hit with Kemba coming to town as well. I don't think we see Fournier get to where he was in Orlando. That feels like a reach just based on... Now, to be fair, in Orlando, it was sort of like Vooch and then like a three-way tie for who gets to take the second most shots on the team. Uh, in Boston, there seemingly there was one of the main guys out in front of him. He got about 12 and a half shots a game with the Celtics. Uh, in the playoffs, in the regular season, he got about 11 shots per game with Boston. I, I'm I'm pretty worried that, well, I think it's probably fair to say the 12 and a half is closer to the expectation. I don't think he's getting up to 14, but 11 was Fournier off the bench, basically. And he's not coming off the bench with this Knicks team. He's going to be with the starting unit, and when you're playing 30-plus minutes and Tibbs is going to play him a, a crap ton of minutes... He'll get his dozen, probably 12 to 13 shots. So what did he do with Boston in the postseason? That's maybe what we're comparing this to. Or like the 2015 season with Orlando, but he was kind of a different ball player then. His postseason with Boston was 15.5 points, 3.5 boards, 1.5 assists, 1.2 steals, and 2.5 three-pointers per game. Decent foul shooter. Not great. Decent. Uh, and field goal percent, generally a small negative. Does that actually make him a fantasy player anymore? Well, now he slots back more towards the Dan Bespris old man squad type of guy, where he's probably going to be dinged up a little bit. So likely, from a total standpoint, I don't know that this is a good bet. Not under Thibodeau for a guy that hasn't really been able to play a full season in two or three years. Maybe we get lucky and he gets through it unscathed. I doubt it. Roto's standpoint, to me, it comes down to where he gets drafted, which I I know is sort of the answer and the cop-out answer to a lot of this stuff. But if people see him going to the Knicks and getting this starter's job and thinking, wow, Fournier's going to get to do a ton and take him in, like, the top 60, no way. If he's still going to get the treatment he got when he was in Orlando, which was, look, this is a guy that closes his eyes and goes top 90 
with some upside if he gets an extra shot per game or if he has a slightly better percentages year or the steals are at like 1.3 instead of 1.1. If that's the Fournier that the public perceives him to be and he's getting drafted at 100 to 110, well, hell yeah, then I'm all in because they brought him in to be a part of their offense. And he'll probably have that kind of quiet, eyes-closed, top-90 sort of season with a little bit of upside beyond that. But, I mean, no way I'm drafting him before 75. No way. After that, at least you could sort of begin to make some arguments, depending, I guess, on what your your team needs. But I'd be looking at 100. I'd be looking at 100 or later in Roto, and I don't even know if I'm looking at him in head-to-head. For those same reasons. And it, the story with Kemba Walker is not that not that different. I think the buzz is going to be big enough where he gets pushed back up the board. But it's also a very real possibility that people just don't remember what Kemba Walker does when he's... I don't want to say healthy, because he's never going to be fully healthy. But when he's more the lead horse... And he's kind of the 1B on this team now to Julius Randle. He slides right into that bucket, which he most decidedly was not in Boston. He was third fiddle at absolute best with that team. Jason Tatum took 21 shots this season. Jalen Brown, 19. Kemba Walker, 16. 16 is probably the target for Kemba, and it may go even a little bit higher. So Walker, this last year, what did he do in Boston? Well, he only played 43 ball games. He started the year hurt. He sat out every back-to-back. And he'll probably sit out a bunch of back-to-backs this season as well. Which, in head-to-head, makes him almost an impossible player to draft because you need guys not giving you zeros in your head-to-head leaks. In Roto, I think there's going to be a pretty damn good argument to draft Kemba Walker. Problem is, much like with Evan Fournier, I don't really know where he's going to go. I lean on the Fournier front. I think people probably lean more towards uh, just not thinking all that much of him. He's never gotten credit even after good fantasy seasons. He still gets drafted after the top 95 religiously at this point. It's like people, no matter what they're told, they would never go up on him. So I, I, I don't know that that... I know he's going to New York, and so that's a, a buzzy place to go. But this is Evan Fournier we're talking about. There's no buzz around his name, no matter what he does. It's just not going to happen. And there was a rhyme in there. I heard it too. I'm inclined to believe then that Fournier still gets a tiny bit underdrafted, at least from a Roto standpoint. Kemba's a big fat question mark. And it's kind of why we saved him for last, because it's almost impossible to handicap a player when you don't know how the public feels about their fantasy game. If I had to guess, today, August the 4th, I lost track of what show this is. Is this show 58 of the offseason? I don't know. I'll go back. I'll count it up for tomorrow. We're already in a discussion. We're not going to dive out of it just to count up shows. Based on what Kemba Walker did last year, meaning starting the year hurt, missing a ton of ball games even after he came back, played just 43 out of the Celtics' 72 games this year, was actually relatively productive in the 43 games he played. He was top 60. Great free throw percent, good scoring threes. Actually, decent rebounds from a little dude. Five assists per game over a steal a night. There was actually a a decent amount to like about uh, what Kemba Walker did this year. It feels like that top 60 point 
for him is a pretty reasonable marker. Additionally, I think it's worth noting that a decent chunk of Kemba Walker's games came with him on a minutes restriction. Remember, he was only playing like 25 to 30 minutes a game for about the first month when he came back. The last two months, Walker averaged 33 minutes per game when he was playing and he was inside the top 50. Same number of shots, just made him at a slightly better clip. Half a assist better, 0.3 rebounds better, like 0.3 extra free throws for a big-time positive free throw guy. All that little stuff matters. Difference between 29 minutes and 32 minutes for him is not necessarily that there's going to be a crap ton of extra usage, but it's just that trickling effect. Keep him on the floor a little bit longer. Get his legs underneath him. If Walker goes to New York, gets 16 shots a game, averages 24 and 5, basically. I mean, that that's pretty good. That's top 50. In Roto, I would bet most of my life savings that he does not get drafted inside the top 50. And head-to-head, you're not drafting him. So if you're a head-to-head player, you can probably just throw this discussion out because you're not going to take a risk on a guy who's definitely sitting out 14 games this coming year and maybe more. But Roto, since it's a games cap, since you can fill out the remaining portions of the plate with other dudes, like Derrick Rose, his backup, play him for the 17 games Kemba sits or whatever it turns out to be this year, that's worth it. Kemba might miss his mark by totals, by a little bit, but it's just not that cut and dry with a games cap. We've talked about it before. The guys that give you each individual game at a top 75 clip or better are the guys that push the boulder forward for your fantasy team. The guys that go top 75 to top 100, those are the guys that just sort of hold the boulder from rolling back over your face. And the guys outside the top 100, they're using up games cap. Those guys are letting the boulder roll back onto you. Scraping your knees and then smushing you. It's a metaphor. I had to go with it. So to that end, since we don't really know for sure, but we have a decent idea, I think Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier still make sense as possible roto guys. Games cap guys, maybe is the more important way to phrase it. Games cap guys. Julius Randle, big arrow down with all the extra bodies around him. Derrick Rose, more of a backup, more of a handcuff this year with these additions. He'll still play a decent amount. He'll get his shots, but there's just not going to be as much assisting. It's going to be very, very extreme. He'll have games where he gets 15 shots, and then he'll have a game where if he's just if his second unit's getting blistered, he might get six shots and get yanked. I don't like that averaging that's going to take place with D. Rose's season. But they love him. They love him. So they're not going to, it's not like they're just going to cut him off completely. It's just that he really does need 13 shots or more for all of his best categories to have an impact. He needs that level of usage. I don't see it. And that's your, we broke from the Central Division to talk about the Knicks because they completely revamped their team in free agency portion of the offseason. I am Dan Bespris for Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation 
Deep breath, everybody. I think the big stuff is more or less done. Tomorrow, we can probably, this is a big fat probably, go back in and uh, finish up the Central Division. Probably. Probably. Oh, and by the way, Victor Oladipo apparently is back with the heat. That happened while we were talking about the New York Knicks. Ah, He's probably not going to play when the season begins, so... DND, do not draft lifts. Heat are hoping to rehabilitate him. If he gets good, that actually would be a, a a really big deal for Miami. But yeah, not yeah, don't draft him. We don't need to spend 15 minutes on Victor Oladipo. You're not drafting someone who's not playing the first month and a half of the year anyway. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Have a great Wednesday. Don't do it. <laughs> we'll talk to you Thursday. Don't do it. Uh, See you later, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.